Welcome, welcome to season two of Trope Out. I am Emma C. Wells. With me is EJ Winstrom, and today we are talking with young adult contemporary author Charlene Thomas. Charlene started writing when she was really little because in her own words, she has a tendency to love telling stories just as much or more than she loves living them. At 16, she wrote a manuscript that won the National Novel Silver Award from Scholastic Books and later went on to minor in creative writing at North Carolina State University. Charlene writes books about the world we live in, inspired by her experiences growing up, and Charlene says, I believe a lot in people and what all of us are capable of. And maybe that's why I love creating big characters who are steadfastly determined to change their own little parts of the world. Charlene, welcome to Troped Out Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Um, let's kick things off by asking, what are you reading and loving right now? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. First off, I'm super excited to be here. I have never done a podcast before. You guys are my first. So this feels like a very safe space. I'm glad to call this my first. Um, <laughs> but yes, okay, so in terms of what I'm reading right now, so Halloween is what, like seven days away? Yes. So I get kind of into like a very spooky mood October 1st, but it only lasts till October 31st. And then I'm like, okay, no more scary stuff until next year. So right now I'm actually reading Jackal. I don't know if you guys have heard of it yet. It's by Aaron Adams. And it's so good. It's spooky, small town. There's girls disappearing in the woods. It's just all of that sort of like spooky Halloween vibe. And um, yeah, I'm really loving it. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm about halfway through. I'm sure I'll have Hard time sleeping for a couple nights when I'm done, but that's what I want right now. So. I feel you on that. I love spooky season and like my TBR list completely gets turned upside down in October and all the scary books come to the top. Yes, like, exactly. That's where I'm at right now. So yeah, that's what I'm at. Is Jackal young adult or adult? No, it's adult. So I'm actually on a little bit of an adult kick right now. I am dipping my toe into an adult manuscript for the first time. Ooh. So I am sort of exposing myself a little bit more to some of the adult, I don't know, just getting myself on like the vibe and the feeling of um, reading what adults are reading and writing for adults um, for the first time. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. What do you feel is like that dividing line between YA and adult? Because I feel like everyone has their own answer for this. Yeah. So I'm always really interested. That's a really good question. Uh, to me, it has, generally speaking, I think, you know, obviously character ages. So I think young adult tends to have the younger characters as full protagonists and not really so much of the point of view of like a parent or somebody older. And then adult obviously sticking a lot more with the people who are older. But that being said, I just read Cherish Farah not too long ago too, which was an adult book, but told from the perspective of teenagers. So I think that's obviously as all the rules are a little bit meant to be broken. I don't know, for me, I think it's a little bit of the tone. I think that teens can digest a lot of subject matter. I think we don't give them enough credit for everything that is going on in the world and how much they understand it and um, what you just experience by the time you're 18. So I think that teens are super capable of digesting a lot of subject material. I think it's a lot 
for me, more about like the tone of how you do it. One of the things that I talked to with Ann about, my name's agent, um, is just sort of the feeling of young adults sort of leaving a little bit of that hopefulness at the end and like feeling, you know, like it can get better and that things are gonna, you know, there's things to root for and believe in. And I think that an adult, you can be a little bit more sort of dismal and like, mm, nope, everything kind of sucks. <laughs> I'm a little bit excited about writing my adult right now because I'm going a little bit more that route with sort of like, this is a little dark and I don't necessarily feel like I have to redeem it fully in the no. end. Um, so that to me is the big difference, but I know everybody's going to have their own interpretation. Yeah, you don't have to pull back as much yeah. because yeah. your audience can handle it or at least they know what they're getting into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think adults are just a little bit more cynical for lack of a better term. So we can maybe handle a little bit less of, you know, tying it all up at the end. So, yeah. Speaking of tackling some really difficult issues, Seton Girls really gets right into that. This is some heavy stuff in this story. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's what I mean when I talk about like teens. I think that teens are so capable of digesting that sort of story and appreciating um, the dynamics of it and the implications of it. So for me in writing it, I wanted to write sort of this story that was grappling with a lot of what I think we're talking about right now. We have appetite for a little bit more as a society, things like privilege and, um, you know, just what um, it's just sort of happening. I'm trying not to give spoilers, but what's sort of just happening in the world in terms of like Me Too movements and things like that and doing it from the lens of this high school and these teens who are almost sort of in these positions to either become more of the problem as they get older or become more of the solution. And so for me, it was about kind of trying to tackle some of those um, different aspects, but from the perspective and from the lens and from the context of the teens who are hopefully a little bit more, or I actually fully believe are, you know, a lot more malleable and, you know, ready to sort of be part of the change that we want to see um, versus, you know, adults that might have, we're a little bit more set in our ways, I think. So that was sort of my approach to trying to tackle some of the themes um, in Seton Girls without trying to give away too much. Yeah, I know teenagers, boy, do I know teenagers. I live in a house of teenagers. <laughs> you, you said it perfectly, um, putting it a different way. It, it, they're still, I think, figuring out who they are in the world and how they want to react in certain situations. And maybe they don't have this rigid idea and I feel like that's one reason books like Seat and Girls is so important because you make, I mean, it's full, there's nothing wrong with books that are just fully to be entertaining and escapism. Those are great books. I love those books. But there's something really great about a book that tells a story that makes any audience member, um, not just teenagers, but written for teenagers, think about that situation and how they would react mm -hmm. in that situation and not just the main character, you know, but it, it puts it into their world. And I think it helps them decide 
well, okay, if I was here, this is how I would react. And I would want to be yeah. a good guy. And I would, you know, and it, it makes Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I think I'm just a huge believer in, you know, as I've gotten older, just sort of life reinforcing the fact, I think that there are so few clearly right ways and wrong ways to do things. And there's so many gray areas and we're just sort of doing our best, the best we can. And for me, that was the big overarching theme for Seton Girls, which was this sort of feeling that there's like this spectrum, right, of pure evil and amazing goodness. And we're all kind of somewhere along that. And we're all sort of making these decisions that kind of fall somewhere along that spectrum. And there's not necessarily a right or wrong way, I don't think, to go about handling the situation those kids were in. But I'm hoping it helps people feel a little bit seen and a little bit inspired to act, even if you feel like you don't have the voice or you don't know what is going to happen or if you're doing it the right way or whatever it may be, but hopefully just inspiring people a little bit to see themselves in sort of this story where there is so much grayness and there is such a lack of a clear path forward, because I think that's what reality is. And I think more often than not, those are situations that we find ourselves in, in life and in this world. So I just really wanted to depict that. Yeah. And you know, I, I think a few things come out in this story that are really insightful, but one of the ones that I felt really hit the nail on the head where a lot of us struggle with these sorts of situations was there was a few times where the characters talk about this idea that like there's this gap between somebody that we know yeah. so well and these terrible things that are being done and yeah. accepting that the person that we know is the same person doing those terrible things. Yes. And, yes. It just really felt like it hit the nail on the head for me. Yeah, no, for, it's something that I think about a lot, sort of the difference between a bad person and a person who does bad things. And I think it has a lot to do with, do you know them? Do you not know them? The privilege of the situation. So there are people that the media will portray in a certain headline that you know, the court of public opinion will sort of look at and be like, oh, well, like, he's a good kid. He just made a mistake. And then you can kind of throw a different person against the same headline. And it's like, oh, he's a criminal. No, you know, he's a bad guy. And again, I think it's hard. I, and I, I think, you know, a lot of what I wrote in The Scene Girls was a lot of my own sort of philosophical questions to the world, but also that I don't feel like I have the answers to, to almost like open up the conversation a little bit because it's, I think it is hard to know. I think that there is probably a difference between somebody who made a mistake and somebody who is not a great person, but where that line is and how many mistakes that takes and how long you get to keep making those mistakes and how intentional those mistakes are before they are who you are and not things you've done. I think it's an interesting question. And if anybody feels <laughs> in the world feels like they have the answer, I am very interested in talking to them and hearing uh, what they think. So it's not me. One, <laughs> yeah, not me either. <laughs> one thing I keep hearing about Sitting Girls is how glorious these female friendships 
are. And we love a good girl gang. So yeah. when you were we're, creating, like we're a girl gang right now. We're doing it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Exactly. So when you were creating these characters, how did you decide like who was going to be your main point of view? So I felt like it was really important to have Allie, who's like our narrator, be our narrator for a couple of reasons. So for anybody who hasn't read the book, Allie is a junior at Seton Academic High School, and she is uh, editor of the newspaper, and she is dating Jay, who is the quarterback of the JV football team and is the favorite to be the quarterback for the varsity football team the next year. And so from all of those perspectives, Ali's very much sort of part of like the in crowd. She's very much part of sort of this desired sort of insider world at Seton. But at the same time, um, she and Jay are two of the very few people at Seton who are there on scholarship and are taking an hour long bus ride every single day to get to school. So they are inside, but they're also a little bit on the fringes of the inside. And throughout the book, Ali sort of talks a little bit about how she would love to sort of have some of those female friendships that you guys were referring to. Um, but that is a lot harder when, you know, all the girls live right next to each other and they can pick up the phone on a whim on a Saturday and be like, let's hit the mall. Like, let's go and see a movie, whatever. And she's an hour away without a car. And so she never really built up those types of relationships. And Jay is kind of a person because of that. Um, and so for me, it was important to have her really be like the point of view, because I think we needed somebody who was in crowd enough at Seton to, t to reliably tell us sort of what's going on, but also not be so, Seton proper is the term in the book, but not be so acclimated to what it's like to be privileged in this way, to for it to no longer be shiny and exciting. And so Allie sort of starts off this story feeling very honored to be a part of Seton and very fortunate to have gotten the scholarship and tested in and be, you know, one of the chosen few that gets to be a part of this experience. And I think that by the end of the story, she starts to realize, you know, Seton is not a perfect place and that, you know, reality is difficult. And so I think it would be hard to sort of get that perspective and that true sort of arc from anybody besides Allie because I think it was just really important to have somebody who was like just close enough to tell us what was going on, to be at the parties, to sort of make friends with those kids, but not so close that she's already jaded and is like, you have no idea what it's really like on our side of town. Yeah. And she also has so much more to lose than some of these other kids. If she sticks her neck out and, you know, takes a stand on yeah. some of these things that are going on too. So it, it really ups the stakes a little bit for her. First, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit the way that she's an outsider in a few different ways, but really up close to the action. It felt like that same sort of device. This cannot be the best example of it, but it's the classic one that comes to mind immediately. Uh, Nick Carraway from Great Gatsby. Yeah. Uh, where like you're right up in the middle of it, but so 
foreign to it that it's you still get that like holy shit what's going on in this world type of factor yeah uh except the, i think the big difference is of course that ali is much more of a participant in her world yeah than nick yeah. is whereas he just kind of gets taken along but ali is right there engaged in all of these moral questions that are going on and makes relationships in a much more meaningful way and has much more stakes too i think which really enriches it all yeah oh my gosh that's such a great example i hadn't thought about that but i feel like that's yeah. like really true i love that yeah i might borrow that a little bit do it <laughs> i'll continue to credit I mean, you though it works perfectly yeah <laughs> that's, that's a good point yeah no i agree with you for sure um okay well are we ready do you want to trope out yeah, I'm so out. ready. I'm gonna do my best. I, okay. I'm uh, gonna you're do gonna do great. Yeah. All right, Charlene. Yes. Sick kid lit or dystopia? Sick kid lit or dystopia? Dystopia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite? I did really like Hunger Games. I think that that sounds so basic. I'm not a huge dystopian. I'm, there's so much other dystopian out there I know but because I'm not super into dystopian for it to cross my plate is going to be one of the big ones but I did really like Hunger Games so I'm going to go with that one I mean I feel like it's not basic it holds up that's one that like it it was for me Hunger Games was actually as an adult my first like back into YA again like it's what made me start reading YA again so it's a good book I mean yeah it's one of those ones I feel like in like the writing world, it's like one of the ones like you're not supposed to use if you're like querying or whatever because they're like, yeah, it's it everywhere. came out mm-hmm. what, like 15 years ago now and it's okay. and everybody has maybe 10, but everybody knows it. <laughs> so I'm like a little bit, I'm a little bit wired to not say that, but it's right. true. I, I mean, it's a great, that's part of why they don't want you referencing all the time because everybody loves it. Um, right. But no, I really, I really like that one. So I would say dystopian and Hunger Games is probably my favorite YA in that one. Uh, yeah, my my Hunger Games situation, I was, <laughs> this is like how things have shifted as far as being plugged into the book book world. Like now we have like book talk and like Twitter and like all these things. Like when it first came out, I like was going to the beach with my family, like my parents and my kids were really small and everybody. And I just grabbed it. I'd never heard of this book before. Yeah. <laughs> and like read it all in a day. And I was like, has anybody read the Hunger Games? And now That's I'm like, happened to me with <laughs> a couple of bestsellers. I before. discovered this great book. Everyone should read it. Yeah. No, and then it I bo- think I was kind of the same though. I I think I stumbled across it at the library, and I was living in Omaha, Nebraska at the time of all places. Oh and I know this vividly because I finished that book from the library at like, it was like 8:30 at night. So and it was like the dead of winter. And so it was super dark out and a snowstorm was coming in. Like there was already like an inch of snow on the ground. And I was like, I need the next book immediately. Oh my gosh. This cannot wait. And it was like back and in so the day And so I made my husband like drive with me to Barnes & Noble that night yeah. in the snowstorm to get the other, like I got the entire rest of the series at once. Like oh that's how gosh. behind I was, first of all. Oh and it was like, this all has to happen. You know, I didn't right have now. to wait on a book either. I must have been slow. I had mom brain, I'm sure. So I didn't know anything that was going on but i'm like manifesting that now if i don't get somebody out in a snowstorm at some point to get my book <laughs> then what am i doing the universe <laughs> like honestly same like yeah. fingers crossed maybe someday someone will care that much yeah but... exactly this is what i'm manifesting <laughs> for myself right now <laughs> okay so let's go i'm gonna ask you the next question okay first love or disillusioned with society 
I feel like there can be some cross overlap there too. Yeah, I would say probably disillusioned with society just because it depends what kind of first love story. You know, like I love a love story. I actually consider Seton Girls a love story in a lot of ways, but not in the traditional sense. So I would say, I would say love story if it's untraditional love story, um, but sort of that more like, you know, disillusioned kind of, you know, over it sort of character. Otherwise. I like that too. And I, I feel like a lot in YA, um, these two tropes overlap a lot. Overlap yeah. a lot. Try saying that a lot. Say that three times fast. Overlap a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I think, you know, having that person who's a little bit like, uh, it all sucks. It's not going to get any better. You know, then that changes because they meet their first love. So, yeah, I think it does sort of overlap and it has right. this sort of crossover opportunities for sure those are definitely two of my favorite as well yeah all right um dead parents or generation wars so like teens versus parents i would say gosh i don't know i would say maybe generation wars i think you're like freaky friday and i love that movie so yeah i'm gonna say generation wars feel like that's a lot more in vogue these days. Like, no one does the dead parents anymore. Yeah, it's overdone. it's been done a lot. I think, I always feel like, I'm one of those people that I always feel like there's always an, a new, different, fun way to do something. So, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of sort of, like, the parents have died. And that's kind of the joke in YA, right? It's like, well, where the parents, they died, you know? <laughs> and that's why these kids just never have to answer to anybody and never have to be home and never have to worry about eating dinner on the table or anything like that. But yeah, I think um, I think it can totally still be done really well. I think that for me, though, probably that generational kind of, I love a good just sort of dialogue scene, just, you know, arguments and fights. Family <laughs> drama. Page. Yeah, so I, I think that's what I would say. I like that too. So I am going to ask, let's see, should I ask her the one... I'm going to just ask you, secret baby or secret villain? So like a secret baby, and you can like interpret that however you want, because it's really funny, because depending on the author and what they write, they totally take that a different way. And then secret villain, I mean, feel free to interpret that as well. But I imagine like almost like an antihero or like the antagonist isn't who you thought they were. Or Yeah, I mean, I think I would say secret villain. Just because I, I don't know. I think it goes back to like that gray area stuff and like who's bad, who's not, what is bad type of thing that just kind of intrigues me. So I feel like that would be my choice. I love that. I love a morally gray story. I love a morally gray story <laughs> where everybody, where everybody is just kind of like even your good guys are a little bit bad. It's just yeah, who's the worst. Like exactly. What? I love that too. So. But it might be, maybe because I'm in a Halloween mood, but <laughs> ask me on November 1st. But no, I, I am into those types of stuff. Right. So. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking with you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Please, for our readers, uh, 
let us know where they can find you online, how they can follow you and connect with you. Yes. So I am on Twitter at Charlene underscore Thomas. And I am on Instagram at Charlene Thomas Books. That is also my um, my website address. So uh, charlenethomasbooks.com. And then my email for anybody who want to get in touch is charlene at charlenethomasbooks.com. And yeah, in terms of just like what I'm up to, Seeking Girls is out. It came out August 30th. Um, we talked about a lot, so I won't try to do that again. <laughs> I have my second book coming out. It's another YA 2024 um, titled Peekaboo. And it is ironic that we're talking about this actually now. It is a story that follows a girl named Katie. It takes place, uh, it starts on Halloween night at a spooky little Halloween carnival that happens in this town every year. And in that moment, Katie sort of meets a stranger who grants her the special power to potentially change her life forever. And she gladly takes him up on it and sort of goes down this road of, of striving for perfection through her newfound abilities. And through the course of this sort of discovers that there's this huge secret that Peekaboo has been keeping from all of its people all along. And now she has to figure out what to do with her newfound information. So it's very twisty and it is my first time writing speculative. So I'm really excited about that. So that's my next one. It's on Goodreads now if you want to add it. And yeah, that's all I have going on that's officially announced. Other than that, just writing away and trying to you know, see what comes next. So I clicked add so fast on Goodreads for that story <laughs> that I like broke my finger. Cause like five things you said are like instant, I'm instant really buys, instant reads it. for me. With I that started book. it when I was like in a mood, I was like, I want to write something that's like twisty and weird, but like, also, I don't know, just like, I want to play with like unreliable narration. I just wanted to like do all of that at one time. It's so better. <laughs> here it is. I'm still trying to, it's not coming out to 2024, like I said. So I still need to work on like my elevator pitch. So this, thanks for letting me do that with you. But no, it sounds <laughs> That'll perfect. get tighter. That's That'll get creepy better. carnival having like wishes granted and yeah. like there's a secret yeah. and an unreliable Speaking narrator. Speaking tropes, right? That's like the tropiest Sign thing ever. Sign me up. But... That is awesome. It's seem weird. It's where we live. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that. I guess it's also a trope that I like spooky Halloween carnivals and getting your wishes granted. So yeah, but stay tuned more on that in a bit. Amazing. All right. I'm already excited. And uh, if anyone wants to follow us, you can find more about this podcast and our others at typoproductions.com. You can find us online at typo podcasts across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, TikTok. I think. Yeah. Awesome. And we each have our separate accounts, too, if you want to follow. And um, I just had an ADHD moment and completely blanked back to EJ. <laughs> That's what I get for interrupting. It was there, though. It was right there. And then it was gone. And now it's gone. It's gone. Uh, and with that, if you enjoy listening to us lose our train of thought, please leave a review and tune back in uh, for another episode next month. Oh, bookshop.org. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Charlene's book. At the as well. That's right. As well as all of our guests' books are available in our bookshop, which is bookshop.org backsplash back 
backslash <laughs> good god bookshop.org slash troped out